Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and if you enjoyed the uh, opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Now, today is September 1st, and I don't know if everyone is aware of this or not, but um, basically, we are celebrating Dementia Awareness Month and also World Alzheimer's Month. And so there's a lot of activities going on um, that we'll be talking about uh, a little bit, a little bit later. But first, I want to um, just uh, shout out to those who are new to our show. Alzheimer's Speaks Radio is about sound information, not just sound bites. Our goal is to raise everyone's voice, big and small. So that includes people diagnosed, those that care and serve them, advocates, researchers, and so much more. And today is a live show, so you can call in and participate in the conversation if you'd like. That number is 323-870-4602, And to our our tribe out there, I just have to say thank you for your likes, your clicks, your shares. Um, spreading the word of the information that we're sharing here is really helping people significantly. Um, letting people know they're not alone, uh, that a lot of people are going through and dealing with dementia um, helps build a sense of community, a sense of collaboration and comfort, just knowing you're not alone anymore. And so um, we hope the information that you receive, not only on this episode, but every episode, we've been doing this for, gosh, over 10 years now, interviewing people all around the world. I truly believe it's going to help us win this battle against dementia. Now, I always like to give a couple of shout-outs, so I'm going to go ahead and, uh, of course, shout-out to the Memory Cafe directory. Um, People uh, with dementia, their care partners can attend these. We've got about 900 of them total in the U.S., but right now I think there's only 40 or 50 of them that are virtual. And I know people are really missing the gatherings um, because you you get to meet peers and uh, talk and laugh and, and cry with people going through the process and you can get some wonderful insights. So go to the Memory Cafe directory and you can find out more information about the virtual cafes that you can reach out to. In fact, I'm going to be um, working with artists living in Woodbury, and we are going to be starting a new memory cafe uh, with artists called The Artist Way, and uh, we'll be launching September 16th, and those will be from 1 
to 2 p.m. on the third Wednesday of the month. And um, you can just reach out to me for further details regarding that. But we would we would love to hear from you. Uh, Artist Senior Living is just a fantastic memory care um, located throughout the throughout the nation. There, I also want to give a shout out to um, our dementia chats that we do and dementia quick tips. Both our videos you can access through our YouTube channel. Dementia chats are. Um, a panel of people living with the disease, and I just facilitate a conversation on a topic. There are tons of them out there. And dementia quick tips are just things I wish people would have told me when I started on this journey with my own mom who lived with dementia for 30 years. Uh, so hopefully you'll find those helpful. Also, um, Coral Health has stepped up uh, to kind of help meet the needs during this time of covid and they have a special offer uh, for people. You can download two apps. One is called Music First, and the other is Coral Faith for free. Uh, just go to CoralHealth.com. That's C-O-R-O Health. And, uh, again, you can lo- download uh, Music First and Coral Faith. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about um, Dementia Awareness Month, which um, Dementia Alliance International, um, their organization is actually having their uh, meeting of the Minds webinar, and that's going to be September 23rd and 24th, um, and depending on where you're located in the world time-wise. And it's going to be um, entitled Human Rights as a Practice Model in a Residential Aged Care. And Daniela Greenwood is phenomenal. I met her when she came to the U.S. here, and she is just a doll with wonderful insight. So go to DAI.org, and you can learn more about that, that free webinar. And then uh, the um, organization called... Um, Alzheimer's, uh, let's see, Alzheimer's Disease International. They are having a focus this month for World Alzheimer's Month called Let's Talk About Dementia, and that's an actual hashtag. And they put out a global report every year. Um, and this year it is going to be released on Monday, September 21st, and you can register to receive that free. Um, they they just do some phenomenal phenomenal work. Uh, I I can't even tell you everything that that they are up to. And then last, I just want to mention that Robin Williams' wife is going to be releasing a documentary um, about Louis Body, and um, hopefully that will enlighten some people there too. Because of course uh, that is um, something that Robin himself had to deal with. Now, I am going to check and see if our guest is here. He's a busy, busy man, uh, Dr. Sabat. So let me just uh, see if he is online. Dr. Sabat, are you here? Hi, Lori. Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, then I'll go ahead and introduce you. I just wanted to check. Let me formally introduce you. Uh, Dr. Marwan Sabat is a board-certified geriatric neurologist and he has dedicated his whole career to finding a cure for Alzheimer's disease. We've been lucky enough to have him on the show with us before. And one of the things that I love about this guy 
is he gives us details, but he speaks in simple language that all of us can understand. He's really good about breaking things down for us. So we always have great, great conversations. Um, Dr. Sabat is a leading investigator for many prominent national Alzheimer's prevention and treatment trials, and he's published over 300 peer-reviewed articles. That's a lot, a lot of articles in his day. Um, he earned his medical degree from the University of Arizona in Tucson, and he received his residency training in neurology at Baylor College of Medicine and his fellowship in geriatric neurology um, and dementia at the University of California, San Diego, which I, I wish there were a lot more geriatric neurologist out there. Dr. Sabat was also with Banner Sun Health Research Institute and then um, Barrow uh, Neurological Institute prior to joining the Cleveland Clinic, which he did in 2018. So he is just a wealth of knowledge, well-respected all around the world, and I'm just thrilled he could scoot away and spend some time with us today. So, so welcome, Dr. Sabat. How are you doing? Thank you, Lori. It's uh, great uh, timing and good to hear from you. Uh, I'm actually, believe it or not, in clinic today, so everything you're talking about, I'm actually seeing uh, a, a real patients today, and uh, I know this is an emotional journey for your entire audience, so I feel what they're going through. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that you can't get uh, out of you, you know, away from when you're dealing with it day in and day out. Exactly. I, I always like to ask every one of our guests before I kind of get into my line of questioning, and that is, have you been personally touched in your own circle of friends or family with with any of the forms of dementia? Uh, my mother-in-law, before she passed, had a form of dementia called normal pressure hydrocephalus, which occurred in their last year of life. Uh, but uh, my parents are elderly, uh, uh, and they're still uh, fully intact, so I've been very blessed in that regard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, had, I've actually had uh, assumed the role of a caregiver uh, uh, several years ago. Okay. Well, thank you for, for sharing that on a personal note. Why don't we start out with having you explain the continuum of Alzheimer's disease, and what yeah. are some of the first signs and symptoms, and also if you can, um, in defining that, because a lot of uh, our general public refer to all types of dementia as Alzheimer's disease, and so if you can um, make sure if you're, if you're talking specifically Alzheimer's or if you're talking other dementias, just to kind of give them a feel. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad that we're starting with that, uh, that question. Um, so understand that dementia is a state and disease and Alzheimer's disease is a condition. Uh, so dementia is a category of disease, much like saying cancer. If you say cancer, you say what kind. If you say dementia, you say what kind. Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia, but there are, as you already said in your introductory remarks, there are many, many kinds of dementia. Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's strokes, water on the brain, brain tumors, thyroid deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies, uh, infections can all cause dementia, uh, uh, so, but Alzheimer's is still the number one cause, uh, probably constituting up to two-thirds of all dementia. So dementia is the state, meaning severe impairment, severe enough to cause functional loss, uh, but Alzheimer's is the condition. 
So Alzheimer's starts in three phases. Is the preclinical phase, meaning before you ever manifest symptoms of disease, of any cognitive changes, you're still already starting to accumulate the pathology in your brain. And by the time you come in with symptoms like mild cognitive impairment, which is the prodrome of the dementia, you're a little forgetful but not lost the functional impairment. Uh, beyond that is uh, the dementia state. So the, the stages are pre-symptomatic, early symptomatic, which is the mild cognitive impairment, and then the full symptomatic, which is the dementia state. In dementia, of course, you have the mild, moderate, and severe state of dementia, mild being still retaining some activities of daily living but losing some of the independent activities of daily living. In the moderate, you're having the loss of uh, activity of daily living uh, and some of the emergence of the behavioral symptoms. And in the severe stage, you're losing the self and uh, moving toward the end of life. Uh, it's hard to see this day in and day out. I have to tell you, Lori, I, I go home and kiss my wife and thank God for my life and say, you know, I'm glad I have what I have. But you don't know when you're going to ha uh, have it, uh, how long you're going to have it. So it is, uh, it is a challenge. You know, I like the way you broke that down because a lot of times people just hear, hear early, middle, and late, and they, they don't know what the heck that means, <laughs> you know. And so you not only said the stages, but you gave us some idea of what to expect, you know, in that middle stage of of loss of kind of normal things that we can do and maybe some behavior issues are going to arise um, with that. Yeah. And then, you know, the end is, you know, um, wrapping things up, and and yet there's no right. set time frames for how long anybody stays in these. I know my mom broke all the rules with living 30 years with the disease, and um, you know, people denied what was going on. In fact, her doctor used to say she had um, it was just her hormones for 10 years. You know, but back then, not too many people even talked about Alzheimer's disease or any types of dementia. And she was functional and she was social, but she was you know, seeing those differences. So I think it's so important for our listeners to understand if you're feeling those differences, you know, get to the doctor. If you're not getting answers that you're comfortable with, get a second opinion and get to somebody who specifically deals with dementia. Um, and because, oh, go ahead. I want to add something. Uh, you know, um, people, there. I mean, in addition to having some uh, uh, thoughts and and understanding and misunderstanding of words like dementia, uh, they're also having some um, understanding and misunderstanding of words like mild and early. So to mm -hmm. me, early means young onset, late means old onset, mild means mild symptoms, and severe means severe symptoms. But people use late and mild uh, early and mild and severe interchangeably, and I think we uh, struggle trying to figure out what we all mean. Oh, I, that's a that's an excellent point. Just same thing with with people who were diagnosed originally, and this makes me laugh because I mean we've talked about it so much. But people were originally diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and then the term mild cognitive impairment came, and right. you know the people with dementia go, you know, I don't know who came up with the name, but there's nothing mild about this, <laughs> you know, and right. and I don't exactly. believe my symptoms exactly. have changed. Maybe the insurance company has changed how they're going to how they're going to finance certain things and fund things. But, um, you know, really having an appreciation for words, but yet we can't get stuck too much on the words either and spin in that way. You know, we've got to 
we have to get the information out to people that's going to be going to be helpful um, you know with all of that so thank you so much now you were recently at the virtual AAIC conference this year and I want first of all to have you tell people what that is um, because you spoke there about early diagnosis and why it's so important um, to yeah. diagnose mild cognitive impairment early. But first, tell us what AAIC is, because a lot of people don't yeah. know all the acronyms out there. So AAIC is Alzheimer's Association International Conference. Uh, actually, it's been a global conference since 1998. Uh, no, actually 1990, excuse me. Uh, it is the world Alzheimer biggest conference in the world. Typically, they get six to 8,000 attendees, and this year they had 35,000 virtual attendees because, of course, wow. uh, we couldn't travel. You know, the, it, was, it was supposed to be held in Amsterdam, uh, uh, but uh, the company closed it off, so we couldn't go there in person, and we ended up having a virtual conference. And then the Alzheimer's Association made a very forward-thinking decision to make it a not only a global virtual conference, but a free uh, uh, to uh, all, and that was a huge change and a great change, if you actually ask. Wonderful. So, um, you you spoke about early diagnosis there. Why don't you tell us why you feel that is so important? Yeah, it's a very momentous uh, time in our field, Lori, as you. Of the, one of the largest voices and advocates in our space. I'm so thrilled to be on your show. Um, you know, we are, at a, we, I believe, are at a transformative moment. I think a lot of your audience is dealing with this condition. They're worried. They're scared. They're like, there's nothing going on. There's nothing going to change. But in truth, we know that we are poised to see a transformative moment in the field where we can take Alzheimer's disease from a terminal disease, as you and I and many of your audience know it, to a chronic disease, much like we did with cancer, HIV, and diabetes. And, you know, now people live years, decades, with these conditions and are uh, able to live a quality of life. We are beginning that, I think we're in the beginning of that process. And the reason this is so important is if we see drugs like the monoclonal antibodies, which are drugs that actually remove amyloid out of the brain and do so successfully, uh, we're worried that doctors, which are told that you can only diagnose Alzheimer's disease with an autopsy, uh, that they don't feel confident, comfortable, capable of making a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease with any measure of certainty uh, while the patient's sitting in front of them. You know, we're using the approach of a, what's called the diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that you ruled out other things, and by extension, therefore, it must be Alzheimer's, which turns out to be a, a grossly inaccurate approach only right two out of three times, uh, but wrong one out of three times. And so if we're so grossly inaccurate, um, you know, uh, means that doctors aren't comfortable, they're not confident in making a diagnosis. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say you went to the doctor with a cough and they did a chest x-ray on that, uh, and they said, well, you have a spot on your lung. It could be cancer. But we're just going to wait and see what happens, uh, and we'll get back to you, okay? Mm -hmm. What would you you'd be terrified? You'd be like, oh, my gosh, what if it is cancer? That's yep. the exact same thing that's happening in Alzheimer's. P 
people are like, well, your memory loss could be Alzheimer's, but we don't know, so we're going to wait and see what happens. That's what happens every day in, in Alzheimer's. And so yep. I'm saying to you is if we're trying to make people get better with these new drugs, these new generation of drugs, we need to be able to give doctors the capabilities and tools and strategies to make it diagnosed with great accuracy from 66% accuracy, accuracy to 90 95% accuracy. And that's what that, why not only is it transformative in the way we are going to treat Alzheimer's, we have to be transformative in the way we diagnose Alzheimer's. I totally, totally agree uh, because, I, I, you know, I talk with people all over the world and, you know, they still say, you know, so many of them, it, it can take them two to three years to get a to get a diagnosis. And then there still isn't that understanding that um, the diagnosis can morph and change into something else. Or some people are, are really lucky and, you know, hit the lotto and they have two or three different types of dementias, you know, at right. one time. And and so there's just so, so much we need to do in getting that fear out of the way. I just interviewed um, Sarah Ashton, who is uh, diagnosed living with the disease, and um, she was just kind of a powerhouse of a worker. And her doctor never really told her that she had dementia, but then told her work. And, I mean, there's all these weird things that happen with this discomfort and People not knowing, uh, especially I think with with clinicians and stuff, they feel a loss of hope because they're not necessarily connected to community support and, um, you know, different products and tools that can help with daily living as well. And so we we really have to connect the dots um, with that um, to help that process because it is it is a diagnosis to give someone, especially if you aren't connecting them to to any resources. When you, uh, let me ask you, and I'm sure that you probably do this, but when when you give a diagnosis, do you try to connect them to the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Foundation or a dementia-friendly community in their area or anything like that? Well, so, Lori, I'm very, very lucky. I work for the Cleveland Clinic. I, in fact, direct the Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have all of those resources in-house. I do not have to outsource any of those conversations to anybody but in my own departments. And so the answer is yes, I have those conversations every day. And yes, I refer to my groups. But we have behavioral medicine. We have social work. We have uh, resources that we can, uh, uh, caregiver support resources that we can send in-house. We're very, very lucky in that regard at the Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas. See, and that, um, for our listeners, you have to know that is, in my opinion, not the norm out there in terms of yeah. what people receive yeah, upon, <laughs> upon diagnosis. I'm in Minnesota, and we have uh, health partners that has a wonderful uh, neurological clinic, and they They've set up the team too, and they they try to coordinate all the appointments to you know um, like half days instead of having to go in so many times where you can meet with different members of the team and and things and that makes such a difference. People just talk about oh my god, what a relief! You know, it, it's not always hanging over their head what they have to do, and if there's a question, it can get answered you know amongst the team members while they're there instead of trying to you know those communications uh, later on. And so that that's critical. Um, and so congratulations to you and the Cleveland Clinic. I hope more and 
clinics start to mirror what you're doing because it really does make a, a huge, huge difference in uh, in, in, in how they feel supported. Uh, how do you feel about the potential of new treatment options on the horizon? You know, we, we've heard about a lot of failures uh, lately, and what should patients and their family know about some of the advances? Because um, I know for a while there, people were just giving up hope, going, gosh, nothing seems to be, you know, moving forward here. So, I mean, the, the thing that the field is buzzing about is clearly the emergence of this new drug by Biogen, um, what's called a monoclonal antibody, uh, uh, aducanumab, and I hope we'll spend a few minutes talking about it. But uh, beyond that, you know, there are, that is a drug, uh, infused drug, IV infusion, to remove amyloid out of the brain, which it does very well and very, uh, and very consistently. We are also seeing, of course, uh, uh, other drugs comp- doing the same thing, BAN2401 and gantanerumab. So I'm trying to say to you that the idea that we can remove amyloid out of the brain has been shown to be consistent, and all three of those drugs are either near approval or in very fully in the phase three, meaning last round of uh, clinical trials before they are seek approval. So that's, I think, very exciting. But the other major trends we are seeing are uh, new mechanisms of action moving forward, drugs like the Athera NDX1017, drugs like the Cortexam Core 388 drug, uh, uh, moving forward, like the Alcyon ALZ801 drug moving forward. And then the last thing that's very exciting is a, a new trend called segmentation, where you're starting to break the disease and not in trying to swing for the fences and try to treat all things with one drug, but break it into constituent parts, and we're seeing that done as well. So most people may not be aware, while we are discussing the biogens of the world, you know, the, uh, there's now a drug approved this year in 2020 to treat the sleep-related impairment. This is Belsamra, uh, to treat the sleep-related impairment, impairment in Alzheimer's disease. The drug uh, Pimavancer and Nuplazid will be approved to treat psychosis in Alzheimer's this year. And so my point is there's a lot of new things emerging, and it's a very exciting time. Wonderful. So two things I have to ask you about is, one, um, a lot of people who might be new to this might not even understand, well, what the heck changes in sleep that there's an impairment <laughs> with that. So yeah. if, you can, if you can let them know that, um, that would be helpful. Yeah. So um, the uh, – Sleep disturb uh, sleep is quite Im- disturbed in Alzheimer's patients. Often, and I, I'm sure many in your audience probably are living through this. Patients will get up in the middle of the night. They'll start wandering around. They'll try to open the doors. They'll check on the doors. They'll they'll just uh, they'll get to what's called day night confusion. You know, they sleep in the daytime and they're up all night. They'll get up in the middle of the night to go to get ready to go to work because they think it's time to go to work. Uh, and I will tell you that disrupted sleep from a caregiver standpoint is one of the most distressing things that patients experience and families experience. You know, when the family is up all night with the patient and then is up in the daytime, you know, they just get, are exhausted. And so yep. uh, sleep disturbances are very common, and I'm sure you've had that on your show. And uh, um, all the things we use to sleep, treat sleep uh, have their own challenges in front of them. They're... We treat that, but it, this is the first time we actually have a drug approved 
specifically for sleep disturbance in Alzheimer's. See, and that is that is such an important factor because not only is it disruptive for the person with dementia, but like you said, the care partner. And when you get sleep deprived, either of you, it just multiplies what's going on. Right. And, and and makes you feel overwhelmed. The other thing is um, if you can give some examples of psychosis and, and yeah. how that can play out. Because one of the things I hear from people all the time is this is happening a lot and there's there's no place for them to go. Um, if they're in a right. community, sometimes they get kicked out. I'll let you kind of get into that a little bit more if you don't mind. Yeah, so uh, psychosis is the presence of hallucinations and delusions. Uh, a hallucination is where you see things or hear things that are not there. A delusion is what's called a fixed false belief, meaning you think things are going on, but they're not. Uh, mm-hmm. And in many cases, hallucinations are as re- and delusions are as real to the person as they are not to the people who are caring for them. And the reason it's important is, uh, you know, one thing we have to do is train caregivers you know, and say, instead of saying, no, dad, there is no spider on the wall, or no, dad, there are, uh, your parents are dead, uh, and they're not coming to visit you. Uh, uh, those are two good examples uh, of hallucinations and delusions. Mm-hmm. We need to train caregivers on how to respond. We call that uh, redirection strategies. And training caregivers not to, to try to call it out uh, is one strategy we use. But the reason I talk about it is just like uh, sleep disturbance, psychosis is very distressing to caregivers. It really upsets them to see this happening to their loved one. And so uh, there is now a drug, Nuplazid, uh, Pimavantrin, which has uh, already gotten conditional approval from the FDA, uh, uh, or is either there, I think they got approval, or they're about to get approval uh, from the FDA to treat. Uh, uh, psychosis related to dementia. Okay. Now, one of the questions I have, because I hear this from people all the time, is, well, my doctor said that medicine doesn't work well or will actually make things worse when they're trying to deal with some of these um, uh, psychosis um, situations. And has that been looked at? Because I know some like antipsychotic medicines and stuff can kind of elevate the situation instead of reducing it, um, just because Absolutely. of the twist and so, turn. Definitely antipsychotic medications have, actually have warnings about using them. Uh, uh, the Risperdals and Seroquels and uh, uh, Abilifies and the uh, uh, other drugs like the Zeprexas of the world all have a warning saying don't use them in this manner. Uh, Nuplazid apparently works in a completely different way, or Pimavantrin works in a completely different way and is not a antipsychotic in its traditional sense. And they just got to studied, uh, uh, released their data from a study called the Harmony study, suggesting that it had not only an effect, it had a very robust effect. So. Uh, I don't know if other antipsychotics we looked at, but this is certainly one that is now uh, like looking like it'll be approved by the FDA. Wonderful. That's going to be such a huge relief because people who are dealing with this, uh, uh, these episodes, I, I get so frustrated, and some get you know physically scared for their lives who are caring for them, and um, and others you know are worried they're going to harm somebody 
when when this stuff happens and stuff. And so I, it weighs heavy on, on everybody. And I know uh, here, like in Minnesota, you know, it's recommended that they go to maybe a geriatric psych unit, but there's so few numbers of, of beds available compared to the need. And that seems to be, from what I hear from people all around the U.S., kind of a situation there in terms of trying to evaluate um, and, and get a handle on this. Um, do, do you see that as being uh, an issue, uh, a lack of Jerry Psych um, beds, or do you think with this new drug maybe that wouldn't be necessary? Yeah, it's a yes, yes, and yes. So um, <laughs> Jerry Psych beds are short supplied. Uh, I remember when I was in practice in Sun City, Arizona, and I had a patient with severe psychosis and agitation, right? And I mm-hmm. sent it to the Jerry Psych. A, a hospital down the street in Sun City West, Arizona. And the patient, I'm not kidding you, I'm telling you as it really happened, would sit in the emergency room three days waiting mm. for a bed to go open up. So the the number of beds were so few and the access was so little that it was impossible to get a patient in who needed it. And, you know, it caused tremendous challenges. So the, the number of doctors, a number of beds is few, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes behavioral health is not reimbursed as medical, and therefore a lot of physicians don't want to take it on, uh, geropsychiatrists and psychiatrists in addition, because they're like, well, I can do a medical condition and get paid more for the non-medical conditions uh, or behavioral health conditions. And that's a problem, clearly. And then mm-hmm. the third thing, of course, is that we have these drugs that we're using that are not approved, that have these warnings, and they're, you know, imply risk, and they're very dis- worrisome. They're very worrisome. So, yeah, every way you put it, Lori, is, is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, and, it, you know, especially in this time of COVID, people are struggling even more so, and then to have that that lack of ability to, to assess and, you know, in some cases get some respite while things are getting kind of leveled off are, is just horrible. For people now, I, I want to talk ab- about this this new drug by Biogen, the Aducanumab, is it? Um, yes. And exactly how it works and and what makes it truly different from the other things. If you can really bring us uh, maybe up to date on that investigational yeah. side of the treatment. So Aducanumab is what's called a monoclonal antibody. So this is a, a, a manufactured protein that is specifically engineered to find amyloid in the brain and body and grab it and take it out. So these proteins uh, are uh, put in an IV infusion, and you infuse this every month. Uh, and in the case of the studies, of course, it's for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's important is that we know that 18 months in, it did remove amyloid very, very successfully. And one of the studies, the EMERGE study, clearly showed that it slowed the rate of decline down significantly. This is a landmark thing, of course, is that we uh, have now are able to remove a pathology, that's the amyloid, and that we can start to change the trajectory of decline is uh, the first time it's been shown to, to occur consistently is with this aducanumab. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people were very excited about this and are still excited. 
the that's the um, that's the good news. Now the the so the sobering side of that one is that it will, is, it will be an IV intravenous infusion every month. Two is it's likely to be very very expensive, and three is uh, it will probably involve a bit of surveillance and monitoring with regular MRI scans and, and other safety uh, procedures around it. So I'm saying to you that it is a great, important landmark uh, study, but it is, a, it is a, probably a first step. I think there, I'm not sure that will be the final solution, but it is an important step. Okay. Okay. Well, kudos to Biogen for uh, for working yeah. on that. Boy, we, we need uh, kind of a Hail Mary and <laughs> something to pull through. We do need a Hail Mary. And, we agree. And this and this is um this is just such a hopeful conversation. So again I just thank you so much for taking the time because I think everyone's been um, well, everyone's been preoccupied with so many things going on in the world and I think they've kind of given up hope. Um, on this yeah. and just trying to plug through every everything else that's going on. Um, if there's a treatment that can potentially change the course of Alzheimer's disease when it, when it would become available, how is that going to impact not only the, the people diagnosed, but their families in, in your clinic and in other clinics at large? Well, I think that we're going to see multiple things, uh, and we haven't really talked about this on your show yet. Uh, I think we're going to we're in a time where we're going to see Alzheimer's diagnosed much easier than people think. Uh, we're, as you saw in the AASIC a month ago, uh, there might be a blood test approved uh, to treat Al- uh, to diagnose Alzheimer's disease within a, uh, within six months, um, so or six months or a year. Um, mm-hmm. Imagine a, a blood test would be like a PSA for a man or a hemoglobin A1C for a diabetic. These would be screening mm-hmm. tools. If, you're, if your blood test is abnormal, you go on to get more tests. But if your blood test is normal, that would exclude the pathology. My point mm-hmm. is, is that uh, we're about to make uh, Alzheimer's much less complicated and reduce the uncertainty uh, wow. of the diagnosis. Yeah. Would, oh, yeah. Would that Fantastic. Well, and, and with that then comes, um, of course, there's always going to be that fear initially. But, I mean, you look at even when people get uh, diagnosed with, if it's breast cancer or prostate cancer, you know, there's a support system. There's some hope in terms of how do we deal with this. Um, you know, it doesn't mean it's the end where I, I still hear people all the time saying, you know, my doctor gave me a prescription with my diagnosis and just told me to get my affairs in order, you know, and that was that was it. And not that people shouldn't do that. They should do that when they're 18 years old, as far as I'm concerned, um, and, and stop removing some of that fear, but that there still is life to be lived. And, um, I, and I hear that time and time again, Lori, and it, it horrifies me. It horrifies me mm-hmm. when I hear that. Uh, yep. uh, and uh, and I, I know it probably horrifies you too. I, you know, I tell people, uh, I tell them the truth. If this is Alzheimer's, I say this is Alzheimer's, and I tell them what to expect, and I tell them how we're going to approach it, and I give them hope. And I and what I say is, you know, our our scenario is that we're going to try to slow it down, 
retain whatever quality of life you have, uh, you know, tell them that it is not a death sentence and really kind of give them ways to move forward in a positive and constructive way rather than just saying, you know, go get your affair in order. In order. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a spooky and it's a it's a horrifying way to walk out of the doctor's office and and I think it's so important too for people to be connected to um, some support groups there and I know you know for me when my mom was diagnosed um, officially that I didn't even feel like I had time for that um, but I do a lot with the memory cafes and things and those are just so marvelous and connecting people when they're a lot of times family and peers, as you know, um, they just pull back or they walk away and then people are, are left alone and, um, and it just intensifies everything. And so being able to move them in to see others have walked this path. Um, this isn't, a, you know, this doesn't have to be a death sentence. I mean, we're, you know, we're all on earth and we're all going to die. That's it. And none of us know when. And there are a lot, I I don't know, I'm seeing a lot more people, I believe, living a lot longer with this disease. Are you seeing that? Uh, I am. I am. And, you know, uh, I, my ideal future, you know, one of the biggest segments of the industry right now is memory care facilities are growing, booming. Right, they're mm-hmm. they're just being built left and right. The ideal scenario for the future, to me, is um, is uh, that is that we would never need another memory care unit because we've done such a good job in uh, in getting ourselves uh, turned around. That would mm-hmm. be the ideal future. Yeah, that We're would, not there that yet. would be. No, we we got we got a ways to go on that one. That's for sure. Um, well, I just I like I said I so appreciate uh, you taking the time to be with us today. Is there anything else that you would like to say? I want to be respectful because I know you're in clinic and scooted out yeah, uh, for us and, and things. And I I sure as heck don't want to take time from you know your patients who are who are waiting for you there. But I I want to make sure that I. I uh, just said I honor you and give you uh, the time you need um, to, to yeah. speak about whatever you want. Cause I, I, again, I adore you. I think you just do a fantastic job of, of speaking at a level that we can all understand. What I would say is this audience needs to know there's a lot more going on in the space than people are aware. Don't give up hope. There are uh, uh, places to get the right answers and right treatment strategies uh, to move forward, and so I just say, uh, uh, if you're not getting the right, if you're not feeling like you're getting the right uh, diagnosis or answers, please look look us up at the Cleveland Clinic, and we uh, I hope I'll be on your show again in the future. Wonderful, and I have to just mention, and I can't think of the the name of the book that you wrote with with Jamie, um, but do you want yes. to give the book a plug? That was a great. Yes, sure. Uh, The name of the book is Fighting for My Life, How to Thrive in the Shadow of Alzheimer's Disease, co-written with Jamie Tyrone. Uh, Jamie is a woman whose statistical risk of developing Alzheimer's disease is 91%. She found out by accident. Uh, Dr. Google can always have some challenges to it. 
uh, and uh, and Jamie, the, her half of the book is how uh, you know it affected her. My half of the book is what are the consequences of getting genetic testing? Uh, is that a good idea? Yeah, and it, uh, so and the book it, is doing well, and yeah, sorry. Oh, cool. I, I was just going to say, and for you know, uh, those of you who are thinking of genetic testing, I mean, you can you can go through a clinic and get counseling, or a lot of people are doing, you know, these mail-in ones um, with no no counseling, and I, I think there can be significant effects because people will think, oh, I'm just getting set up to know my ancestry. Well, there's other things that are you're going to get, and that's kind of how Jamie found out. Um, was by doing one of these kind of mail-in things, and that can be pretty devastating when you're not prepared for that. And all you're seeing Absolutely. is doom and gloom out there. So um, what, what is your thought about people taking these types of, of tests without counseling? So that's very controversial, uh, Lori. Uh, some people would say that... Um, uh, uh, you need genetic counseling, uh, and that's been kind of the position on the on things in life. However, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of years ago, FDA allowed 23andMe to disclose the APOE genotype through your, you know, you spit in a tube, send it to Boston, and you can get your APOE genotype without any genetic counseling. So I think that that line has become very blurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, and so I think that's where we're at. Yeah, and I think people don't think of those types of things. You know, you, you're like, oh, this will be neat. You know, if they're into their genealogy and things like that, um, but they don't realize what all could be in there. And especially, you know, if you're not having any any symptoms, you're not thinking about it, and then it's like, holy cow, you know. And I guess my people ask me all the time, you know, would I do the genetic testing and and for me, I guess I'd, I'd rather not know um, because I think it can play with my mind because, as they say, our genes aren't our destiny. Most of us probably have cancer genes in us that are sitting dormant, and we don't know that they're there. And you might disagree with that and feel free to, to do that. But that's kind of how I have it balanced in my head is, you know, we never know when things are going to mutate and things are going to change in our bodies. And, um, you know, you've got to in my opinion, um, have, have a, a balanced consciousness um, so that you don't kind of go off the deep end, which would be pretty normal to, to get scared and get depressed and, and um, you know, not, not feel so good. And that brings up the larger conversation is that everybody's response will be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, of course, uh, think I, my approach is that uh, knowledge is power. Those mm-hmm. genes, whether you know about them or not know about them, those genes are there or they're not there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the funny kind of joke about uh, don't want to know the gender of the baby before the baby's born. The yep. gender's already been assigned. Whether you know now or at the time of birth, the gender's been assigned. Uh, yep. uh, and so the same thing with the genetics. You either have the genes or you don't have the genes. And so... Um, Everybody, but your comments really reflect where a lot of people are at. It's like some people want to know, some people don't want to know. The problem is in the current, because the lines are blurred, Lori, 
the Jamies, you know, thousands of Jamies of the world are discovering by accident every day, what do you mean I'm going to get Alzheimer's disease? That's not, you know, and they, they, they're finding out by accident. And I, yeah. that's why I'm not sure that the world is prepared for those kinds of uh, 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 events. Yeah. Or the well, I, yeah, I agree. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, they can uh, go to the, the Cleveland Clinic website, which is just clevelandclinic.org forward slash Nevada. That's clevelandclinic.org forward slash Nevada. And the Correct. phone number to, to the clinic is 702-483-6000. That's 702-483-6000. And um, again, I just so appreciate your time with us. And I, I can't wait to have you back on when maybe Thank you. That uh, one, of, one of these is one or more of these is going to roll out and change the world. I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you again Thank you. so much. And to our listeners, this out. Um, I think this was an important conversation that we had here today, and uh, I think it'll help many. In the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can always go to alzheimer's.com for more of our resources. Bye now. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.